right. Well, I was just informed by four people that I cut the last worship song short. To make up for that, I'm going to cut my sermon short. Can I get an amen? There's too much enthusiasm. Will, I... How did I not know that was coming? <laughs> oh, man. All right. Leaving a legacy, how to live and how to die well. There you go. When people ask the big questions in life, the life and death type questions, you always get interesting responses from people. And I suppose the most interesting, the most uh, you know, awkward maybe responses that you get uh, are from children. Um, I find that they give the best replies. They give the best insight. There was once a seven-year-old boy who once said, God doesn't tell you when you're going to die because he wants it to be a big surprise. (laughs) One 10-year-old said, a good doctor can help you so you won't die. A bad doctor will send you to heaven. They get better, trust me. Or consider what an insightful nine-year-old girl once observed. Doctors help you so you won't die until you've paid their bills. (laughs) And then one child said, when you die, you don't have to do homework in heaven. Unless, of course, your teacher's there too. So I'm aware. I'm aware of the fact that this message could be a little disconcerting or even alarming for some of us. Uh, the le- leaving the legacy part, oh, that's good. That sounds positive. That's something interesting to think about. But the how to live and die well part is a little less so. Most people want to know how to live well. They think that that is important. And I would agree. Like Socrates said, the unexamined life is not worth living. But the second idea of how to die well is equally significant and equally important. I give you the immortal words of the great theologian, Captain Kirk. From, thank you, I appreciate that. Has it ever occurred to you that how we deal with death is at least as important as how we deal with life? And I would agree, death is as important as life. Did you know, for instance, that the early Puritans believed the aim of every person would be to die well? And what that meant to them was embracing one's own death, one's own demise, one's own terminal condition, and having their wits about them, and remaining faithful to God to the very end. One of the most notable examples of somebody who lived well and died well was a guy by the name Polycarp. You don't often hear that name anymore. If you've got a son named Polycarp, please talk to me after service. I want to shake your hand. But Polycarp was a personal disciple of the Apostle John. He lived in a time and he died in a time when martyrdom was at an all-time high. He was arrested when he was 86 years old. And when he was arrested, the words that came out of his mouth were, May the will of the Lord be done. As an old man, he was the bishop of the Church of Smyrna in Asia Minor, that would be modern-day Turkey. Persecution against the Christians of that time broke out. Uh, there and the believers were being fed to wild beasts in their arena. The, the crowd one day began to call out again and again for the Christian's leader, Polycarp. So the authorities sent out a search party to go find him. Uh, they tortured two slave boys to reveal where Polycarp was hidden. And on that Friday afternoon, Polycarp was arrested upstairs in his country home. They came in like a SWAT team, fully armed, as if they were arresting a dangerous criminal. Polycarp's friends had wanted to sneak him out, uh, but he refused, saying, hey, this is God's will. God's will be done. So what did Polycarp do in that moment? He welcomed his captors, interestingly, as if they were friends, and uh, he talked with them, and he ordered that food and drink be served to them. And then Polycarp made one last request. He said, may I pray for one hour? And they granted that to him. And as the officers overheard him praying for well over two hours, they began to have second thoughts. What were they doing arresting such an old man with such great character? But nevertheless, they brought him in. So as the crowd roared and cheered and were excited for the future death of Polycarp, the Roman authorities saw how senseless that this was, making this aged man a martyr. So when Polycarp was brought into the arena, the proconsul pled with Polycarp. They said, curse Christ and I will release you. 
To which he replied, 86 years I have served him. He has never done me wrong. How then can I blaspheme my own king who has saved me? Well, the proconsul tried yet again to find kind of an acceptable diplomatic way out of this. He said, then do this, old man. Just swear by the genius of the emperor, and that will be sufficient. And what that meant, it doesn't sound bad, but what that really meant was swearing by the emperor's spirit, which would be emperor worship, uh, obviously a pagan religion. And his reply, he says, if you imagine for a moment that I would do that, then I think you pretend that you don't know who I am. Hear it plainly, I am a Christian. They tried harder, but Polycarp stood firmer. The proconsul threatened, he says, listen, we're gonna let the wild beasts in on you. And he said, bring them forth. I would change my mind if it meant going from worse to better, but not change from right to wrong. Now the proconsul, they're getting, you know, impatient. They're stressed, they're, they're angry. And then they said, we will have you burned alive. And his response was, you threaten fire that burns for only an hour, and it's over. But the judgment of the ungodly is forever. Wow. So the fire was prepared. Polycarp lifted his eyes to the Lord, and he prayed, Father, I bless you that you have deemed me worthy of this day and hour, that I might take a portion of the martyrs in the cup of Christ. Among these may I today be welcomed before thy face as a rich and acceptable sacrifice. It's interesting that as the fire engulfed Polycarp, the believers noted that they didn't smell that of burning flesh, but of baking bread. His followers gathered his remains like precious jewels and buried them on February 22nd, 155 AD. So how's that for living and dying well? Here's a man who embraced it, who had his wits about him, and was faithful to the very end. Solomon said in his book in Ecclesiastes, he says, there's a time to be born and there's a time to die. And between those two points is what we call life. We are creatures of time, but deep down in our hearts, we know that we have eternity tucked right in there. Consider the scripture in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. Yet God has made everything beautiful in its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work beginning to end. So though we don't understand everything happening in this world at this moment or even in the past, we do know that eternity has been planted in our heart. So the question I have for you this morning, how will you spend your time to make it count for eternity? With that question in mind, I would give you the words of Peter in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12. Look with me at the scripture. It says, for this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right as long as I am in this tent to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always Always have a reminder of these things after my decease. And that short little paragraph within those four verses are some great truths, some great principles, some great insight on how to live and die well and leave a legacy. So how do you do that? Look with me. Number one, live with death in mind. Live with death in mind. I know that sounds form. Maybe sound just a little odd, especially to those of you who are younger. And by younger, I, I don't mean Pastor Glenn. Is he even in here? I mean, I went out of my way to get that guy. Oh, there he is. Bless you, my sir. In fact, this entire passage... Peter's aware that his death is looming, so it kind of, it's pervasive, it permeates the thinking here. But if you go back to verses 10 and 11, Peter writes to his audience about the prospect of entering the heaven, entering the eternal kingdom. He's writing because he has something important on his heart. Look with me at verse 10. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. 
For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That reads well, but look with me at the NLT version. It says, so dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among those that God has called and chosen. Do these things and you will never fall away. Then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So he writes, he writes about entering heaven one day, followed by verse 12, where he says, for this reason, this is the reason he's writing. This is the reason he's communicating. He wants those that would read, those that would hear to make it into heaven, to be welcomed into this great place, the home that the Lord set apart for them. He says, for this reason, this is why I write you. I want you to receive that grand entrance into heaven. Also notice that it was obvious to Peter that he would soon die. Verse 14 says, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent. That's speaking of his body, just as our Lord Jesus Christ has shown me. So evidently the Lord had revealed to Peter that he didn't have much time left. And then Peter speaks of his death twice, once cryptically and then once plainly. Cryptically when he references the tent plainly in verse 15 when he says that you will have a reminder of these things after my decease. That's his death. So that word decease, I find to be very interesting. The word decease here actually means exodus. And exodus means leaving one place on your way to another place. So in this entire passage, Peter is living his life with his death in mind. He understands that he's leaving earth and he's going to another place in heaven. He understands that he's traveling. He's not just stopping. Does that make sense? This is the scripture. He says, now admittedly, I will admit, actually, when Peter writes this, he's in his 70s. And you would think to yourself, well, of course he's thinking of his death because he's in his 70s. But you don't think of your death when you're in your 20s, your 30s, maybe not even in your 40s. And I'll admit that that's probably true, but that's not always healthy and that is not always wise. Gordon MacDonald kind of a pastor's pastor has over the years provided coaching for pastors and one time he pointed out to pastors he says when you preach you ought to recognize the fact that there are many generations within the audience and with every generation they're wrestling with with peculiar questions that dominate their life and your teens the question that would probably dominate your life is who am I and who am I becoming in your 20s you're wondering hey what am I going to do with my life and with whom am I going to do it right in your 30s you have all these responsibilities and these obligations and you don't know how to manage so you wonder how will I manage all these things going on in my life and then in your 40s you you wonder am I a success or am I a failure and then in your 50s you start to wonder according to McDonald you know who's your who's this younger generation that wants me to step aside and and, and how do I cope with loss and then in your 60s the question becomes how much longer can I do what defines me or do I change? And then in your 70s, he would say, how do I live with loss? That would be the dominating question. And then, of course, in the 80s, he would say, does anyone remember who I once was? These are dominating questions that affect every generation. So admittedly, the older you get, the more you would think of the very end. But I'm telling you, it's unwise to wait that long. The time to think about the end is right now. No matter what age or stage you are in this life, it's wiser to live with death in mind. In fact, it was Solomon who said it's better to go to a funeral than it is to go to a party. Consider Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 2. Better to spend your time at funerals than parties. After all, everyone dies, so the living should take note of this and take this to heart. Two verses below that in verse four, it says, a wise person thinks a lot about death, while a fool thinks only about having a good time. Now that by the time uh, he finishes up his book, Solomon's last words in Ecclesiastes read this way, don't let the excitement of youth cause you to forget your creator. Honor him in your youth before you grow old and say, oh, life is not pleasant anymore. So did you get that advice? Going to a funeral can be better than going to a party. Taking a walk in a cemetery can be more profitable than going to Vegas. 
even if you win big in Vegas. You win bigger by taking stock and understanding, listen, it's time to consider the future and consider the end. And this is why it's important, A, when you invest time thinking about the end of your life, you get real because you don't know when it's gonna end. Nobody plans this typically, right? Have you ever seen a calendar that looked like 8.30, business meeting, 10.30, gotta get to the bank, 12 o'clock lunch, one o'clock dentist, two o'clock die. I mean, if you'd ever seen that, you would know that you should switch the dentist appointment and the dying appointment (laughs) around. Yet the Bible says in Hebrews chapter nine, verse 27, it's appointed for men to die once, but after that, the judgment. You see, God has made an appointment for your death, but the problem is, is you don't know exactly when the appointment's gonna come. And again, this is important because when you invest time thinking about the end of your life, you get real. Uh, you'll be known for your sincerity. You'll be captivated by honesty, and you'll be free from all that is worldly because you have finally gotten real. You're not living in some makeshift, make-believe life that exists only in your imagination, but you're dealing with the reality of what will inevitably happen in your life. The living will come to an end, and there will be death. Did you hear the joke about the man who died and he went to heaven? When he got to heaven, he looked around. It was, it was beautiful. It was as amazing, if not more amazing, than he thought it would ever be. It was gorgeous. His wife had preceded him by some years, and he saw her there, and, and they met up. And, and he said to her immediately, he says, I would have gotten here sooner if you would have made me eat all that health food. True story. I don't know if that's a true story, but that's a good joke. But the truth is, is we don't know when we're going to die. We don't have any kind of way to predict exactly when that's going to happen, usually. But when you think about it, you get real because you don't even know when it's going to come and you want to live in reality, not some makeshift fantasy. So number one, we live with death in mind because when you invest time in thinking about the end of your life, you get real. And here's the other part. When you invest time in thinking about the end of your life, you live wisely. Here's an example. Let's say that you've got a lawyer. I'm not picking on lawyers. If you're a lawyer here, uh, please find me after service. I've got some work for you. Just kidding. But let's say you go to your lawyer and they charge you $400 an hour. That's going to cost you $400 for every hour you put this lawyer to work. Do you start asking your lawyer superficial questions like, well, what do you think about the weather? Where, where were you born? Where were you raised? How many kids? You? No, you, you skip all of that, right? You're not going to talk about any of that with him. You're going to cut to the chase. You're going to get to the work that you've got in front of you because you don't want to get charged $400 plus. You want to get it out of the way because you know that it's going to cost you something. So when you start thinking about your life in those terms, this is costing me my life, you start to think differently, you start to plan differently, you start to live wisely. This is the best part of living with death in mind, really. So number one, you live with death in mind. That's the first key. It opens up a whole other world for you. Number two, live like you're camping out. Live like you're camping out because you're doing something that is not permanent. I hate to break it to you in case you enjoy your tent. This is not permanent. It will end at some point. Now, I want you to look at the word he uses here. Twice he uses the word tent. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, he says, I think it's right, as long as I'm with you in this tent, he's talking about his body here, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as the Lord Jesus Christ has shown me. Peter uses this familiar metaphor. It's familiar because in that part of the world, you'd have nomads moving from place to place, and they would set up a tent. They would set up a camp and then they would break their uh, camp. They would take down their tent and they would move from that place to another place. Uh, It was a camping metaphor that everyone was familiar with. But it, it wasn't just Peter who used this metaphor, even though he was a fisherman. Paul, the tent maker, obviously would know this. He also spoke of death this way. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent is destroyed, taken down, we have a building from God a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Now, if you think of a tent, you should think of something temporary. You should think of something flimsy. It's just temporary. By a show of hands, I'd be curious to know how many of you like to go camping. Raise your hands if you like to go camping. 
Oh, we got some campers in here, huh? Honestly, okay, that's good. How many of you like to go tent camping? Be honest, how many of you like to sleep in a tent at night? All right. How many of you um, like to go glamping? Like to go camping in an RV, right? Maybe a pop-up tent. That's, that's what I'm talking about. How many of you are jealous of Will and Cheryl who will be heading out in their camper touring North America with their beautiful bed and, you know, luxurious kitchenette and 400 channels on their cable TV? I, can I get a ride on this deal? Can I get in on this? But when you're in a tent, you're down to the basics, and I would just say this, that that is an advantage because you boil life down to its irreducible minimum. You realize how much stuff you can live without in camping. It's just the basics. Also, the advantage of camping out in a tent is that uh, you cannot wait to get home. <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> now, some of you might be thinking, oh, I could, I could, I could live in a tent for, you know, an extent, I could, I could just stay, right, okay, you've not been camping very long then. At some point, you're going to want a real bed, right? At some point, you're going to want a real shower. At some point, you're going to want real food, food that you just can't pack around with you. So a tent, for that reason, has its advantage. It holds you in a state of wanting to get home. It holds you in a state of wanting to get home. Now, our body, like a tent, is temporary. And after a while, like a tent, the threads unravel and the flaps get torn and the tent leaks like all tents leak, right? And it's interesting to me because we all do this. We try to make our tent last a little bit longer. We try to, you know, spruce it up in one way or another. But the truth of the matter is, is that you can't stop the deterioration of a tent. But may I remind you of what James said? He said to us, he says, what is your life but a vapor. It's here one moment and it's gone the next. We have experienced uh, some loss in our church. There's, of course, Lee Corman and there's a few others. And I got a call or a text rather Thursday night and I was running around and I got the text that we had somebody in the hospital and I, I should probably go visit them. And for a moment, I thought to myself, I wonder if I can push that off to Friday morning and do it then. And then, of course, the Holy Spirit gets in there and tweaks your heart a little bit and says, hey, it's time to jump is now. It's time to go now. And so I stopped what I was doing. I ran down, and I was able to visit with the family. And, and this, this man, he was, he, he, he was asleep, but he was still awake. And I put my arms around him, got real close, and I talked to him in his ear, and we prayed. And, and it felt as though he was responding as we prayed. I believe he heard me in those moments. And then the next morning, I get the text telling me that he had passed away. Your life is but a vapor. It, it comes and, and, it, and it goes. Jesus said it this way. He says, let not your heart be troubled, though. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. When I remember that I am going to trade in this tent for a mansion, I, I get pretty excited. I say, oh yeah, I'd rather have the mansion anytime. Because after a while of living in this tent, you're done with tent living, right? Now I'm looking out over you and I see a, a lot of beautiful tents, a lot of tents I love, right? But the real you is not the tent. The real expression of who you are is not the tent, it's your spirit. Your body is just really the container for a while. It's helpful, but at some point it will cease to be helpful. And one day, when death happens, that will, you'll move from this place to the next place. That will be your exodus, and you'll be an even better expression of who you are when we meet again in heaven, and it'll be wonderful. So no wonder Paul said, he said it this way, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And you know, only a believer can make a statement like that, right? There's no substitute for Christ. Think with me for just a moment. For me to live is money. To die is, well, to lose it all, right? Or, or for me to live is pleasure. But then to die is to cease experiencing earthly pleasure and meeting God face to face. That's not a good deal. Only Paul goes on to say, he says, to die is much better, and that's because of Christ. So live your life, my friends, like you're on a campground. Don't make it all about your tent. How's my tent looking, by the way? 
<laughs> and you can send supplies on ahead to your mansion. Look with me at Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 20. It says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. So start decorating your mansion now by investing in what will last forever. So number one, live, your, live with death in mind. Number two, live like you're camping out. And here's the third key, live for the benefit of others. Live for the benefit of others. Peter, as I mentioned, is in his 70s. His tent is unraveling, uh, but it's clear where his energy and where his focus is. It's not on himself. His focus is on and his motivation is for other people. Verse 11, he says, you know, uh, I'm, the entrance will be supplied for you. This is his passion. If you look at verse 11, he says, for this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always, though you know his focus is on other people. Look at verse 13. It says to stir you up. Who's he stirring up? He's trying to stir up those people. And he goes on reminding you. Who's he reminding? He's reminding these people. He's reminding those people. He's reminding these people today, you people, me people, all the people who might lay their eyes on these verses. And then he goes on. He says, listen, moreover, that you would ensure that you always have a reminder. He wants to provide a reminder. So his focus is on other people. Peter's thinking about other people. people. Peter people. Too many P's in that one. Peter's living for the benefit of others. Now, uh, he does this in two ways. Look at, look at this. He says, by reminding them of things that they already know, number one, and by stirring them up. First, he wants to remind them. He says, listen, you already know these things, but I want to remind you of what you already know. I want you to understand once again what you once learned. A good teacher will do that, right? Uh, have you ever wondered why they repeat themselves so very often? I mean, Jesus did repeat himself with the parables. He was retelling the same story in many different ways uh, to deliver the same truth again and again. Solomon did this with the Proverbs. It was David who did this with the Psalms. There are certain themes repeated again and again throughout Scripture so that we will remember that we will get it. And a good teacher will always repeat themselves. A good teacher will always repeat themselves. A good teacher... All right. So interestingly, as I was studying for this message, I grabbed my last favorite Bible. You kind of have to handle it gingerly. And, and I had been in these verses back in 2010. I had put a date on it. I had made a note. I had journaled it somewhere. But I couldn't exactly remember what I learned from this. Because God was speaking to me those, through those verses. And, and I remember thinking uh, this week, I thought, I hope I learned what I was supposed to learn, but I can't recall what it was. See, we forget, friends, and that's why we need reminding. And second thing he does here, he, he's stirring them up. Look at verse 13. He says, yes, I think it's right, as long as I am in this tent to stir you up. That could be translated, I arouse you, or to wake you up from lethargia or drowsiness. How many of you are experiencing some drowsiness right now? Man, there's too many hands. Joke's got to get better. I get it. But that's what this word means lethargia, sleepiness. You know, I've got a dog. He's a great Pyrenees. He's a kind of a, a guardian type dog that uh, works best at night watching over livestock. I, I don't have any livestock uh, unless you count me, but you know, he, he does better at night. That's what he stays up to do. But during the day, this dog can sleep anywhere. It's really an admirable trait, right? He'll be sleeping out there in the sun and the bright light. And I'm thinking, how does he do that? If I'm going to take a nap in, in the light, I at least have to pull my ball cap over, over my eyes, right? But this dog just sleeps right out there in the bright light. And I think sometimes you and I do that. Sometimes we live in the bright light of the gospel and all the truth and all the life that's available through that. And we become drowsy and we become lethargic. And so Peter says, I want to wake you up. I want to stir you up. I don't want you to sleep any longer. I want you to wake up because there's, there's something I want to do with you. Just this Friday, um, I had my parents over. We had our par my parents over and, and, and a little fellowship. And, and we, we study the Bible. We do a soap Bible study process. And my father, who writes a newsletter called Monday Matters, reaches thousands. I mean, like, like 10,000 people. It's, it's a pretty big number. 
but he was describing how over the years he's moved from leadership principles uh, and insights. The content has now changed gradually without him even taking note. It was just a natural pulling into this effort to point back to Christ at every paragraph, at every juncture he could. And then in his words, in his uh, Bible study with us, he says this to us. He says, until my day comes, more than anything, I want to inspire faith in the Lord. And so I say that just to remind you that you have an audience. You might not be writing a newsletter. You might not be publishing anything, but there are people looking at you. There are people looking to you, and you have the opportunity to inspire faith. You can wake people up. You can stir them up. You can bring them closer than you might even know, and that's how God might want to use you. So Peter, in this moment, is nearing his death, and his departure is near. He's in his 70s, but he's not thinking about himself. Instead, he's consumed with other people. Somebody once said, a man wrapped up in himself makes a very small package. True, isn't it? The tendency in most of our lives is to draw a tighter and tighter circle. But maybe the truth of the matter is is that we just need to enlarge our circle of love. Ask any missionary out there who's camping in another culture and ask them if they're happy, and they'll tell you, hands down, I'm so happy that God's using me in this way. So if you want to leave a legacy, you know, want to live well and then die well, live with death in mind, live like you're camping out, live for the benefit of others. In other words, focus on other people. Number four, live for a legacy that outlives you. One day, you're going to die unless the Lord comes back before then. And as a track record, I want to acknowledge the fact that he has yet to come back. So more than likely, you will die. And the question I want to put out there is, what will you leave behind? What legacy will you live, excuse me, what legacy will you leave that will outlive you? 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 15 says, Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. Don't you find it interesting that after almost 2,000 years, here we are, still being instructed and nurtured by these very words from Peter. Talk about leaving a legacy, right, that outlives you. That's amazing, in my opinion. Did you also know that the Gospel of Mark really is a summary of all of Peter's sermons? See, Peter took a young man named John Mark under his wing and brought him along in the faith after he had failed. And as Peter preached, Mark took, John Mark took notes, and, and then he would republish that, and that's how we've got the gospel of Mark. And Mark, John Mark would go on to be a prolific minister for God, a legacy that outlived him. And one of the reasons that I feel Peter knew that his time was coming to an end was because he had a promise from Jesus. He got that promise when he was a young man. It was right after the resurrection you know the story. Jesus appears to Peter after the resurrection, and John records what, what that was really about in, in a way. If you look with me at John chapter 21, he says, I tell you the truth. When you were young, this is Jesus speaking to Peter, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. John adds this phrase to help us understand what that actually meant. Jesus said this to him to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. And I think this is helpful to me and maybe helpful to you if you read back through like Acts chapter 12 where Peter's in a great deal of trouble and the Romans have got him and they're explaining to him that they're going to kill him the very next day. They've already killed James. And, and, and what does Peter do in prison after he's been told, hey, listen, tomorrow morning you're going to die? He goes to sleep. He, he takes it easy, man. He's not even bothered by this. It's because he understood the promise of God over his life. And he was bold and trusting the Lord. Peter was still a young man back then, snoring his way through a horrible experience 
because of his faith and his understanding of the promise of God on his life. But now in this moment, he understands that the time is crucial. In fact, the time is ending. He understands that they're going to take down his tent. He's making an exodus from one place to another place. And so he says all this because all that's true. Because I know this is really my time. He's focused on all these other people, including you and I. I'm going to leave behind something for others. So I would just ask you again, what are you leaving behind? What is your legacy? What are you leaving for the next generation? You know, there's this great Native American proverb that says, uh, when you were born, you cried and the world rejoiced. Make sure that you live your life in such a manner that when you die, the world cries and you rejoice. Even Moses understood this principle when he wrote his only psalm in Psalm 90. He says, Lord, teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. If the worship team will come and provide a little background. We have a great example in Peter and it's kind of been an interesting week. And really I'm asking you to wrestle with the big questions in life. It was a real joy and heartwarming service for Lee Corman that the church had. and So many of you were present for that and have been affected by Lee's life, the Cormans. I had the opportunity to uh, meet with Lee just a couple days before he passed away uh, with Pastor Steve. We got to his back porch, which I think he probably built and it looked like he had just refinished. And we huddle up together, um, Steve, to Lee's left. And I'm sitting more head on, leaning in, trying to hear what he might have to say. And he did drop some wisdom. And he did drop some encouragement. I was significantly moved as he spoke to us and pointed out scripture that he loved. He dearly loved certain verses in his Bible. And like Peter, he would encourage us to go win some more for the kingdom. But I found myself a little agitated, perhaps because I was a little emotional. I don't know. But there was a bird in the tree above us just singing its heart out. Singing its heart out. And Lee looks me dead in the eyes. He says, I am as happy as that bird. And then as if to emphasize it one more time throughout the short conversation, we couldn't have been there for more than 30 minutes. As that bird is just given its all, he says, I am as happy as that bird. There is the real opportunity that you're not as happy as that bird that you're not as happy as Lee. That when we talk about legacy, you're not leaving much behind because there's no real legacy without Christ. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me for just a moment? We're gonna pray. It's fairly simple and it's fairly straightforward. But if you're here this morning and you're saying to yourself, yeah, I've, I've heard you talk about this. I've read the scripture and it strikes me. I could feel something happening on the inside of my heart. I would encourage you in this moment to really give your life to Jesus. There's no better way to live. You will not be disappointed. And by the way, there are disappointing moments in life. There are people who will disappoint you. You will look around and go through hard seasons, but the Lord, he will never, ever disappoint you. He will never let you down. How could the one who loved you so much ever abandon you? He won't. He can't. 
this is a call for you to really give your heart to Christ, for you to really embrace that great grace that he has so lavishly bestowed on you if you're willing to accept it. And then, of course, some of you know that there's a call on you to leave a legacy, and you've neglected that. And the Lord is challenging you with some meager words from this morning, but more than anything, the Holy Spirit's at work on the inside of you doing something that might be a little uncomfortable, but you know will bring you freedom. So would you, would you pray with me? Lord, we come to you and we give you everything. We recognize you as the supreme being. Lord, I give you my heart. I ask you to save me. I ask you to rescue me from my sin and my mistakes and the pointlessness that I've been living with and for. Lord, I hear and I understand what you've done for us. You, you went away to prepare a place for us, a, a mansion. I, 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 I want to get out of my tent, Lord. I want you to collapse my tent and bring me into your presence at some point. And so, Lord, I give you my life. I give you my heart. I give you my spirit. I give you everything. It's all yours, Lord. And Lord, when I look at my life and I look at the legacy that I might leave, I, I give that to you now, Lord. I allow myself to be challenged and I allow myself to look at things differently that I might, Lord, do and become who you called me to be. I give it all to you today, Lord. In your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. Will you stand with me, please? If you prayed those prayers in your heart and you had that sincere connection with the Lord, may I encourage you to come to the altar. I know these are just steps. We call it the altar because this is where God oftentimes alters us, changes us from the inside out. When we come down, we make that commitment. And we say, yes, Lord one more time in a contrite spot knowing that what God would have for us is better than anything that you're holding on to or that the world might be offering you. Bless you as you worship and bless you as you make your way to the altar. been held in your hands from the moment that I wake up until I lay my head I will sing of the goodness of God and all my life you have been faithful All my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am able I will sing 
of the goodness of God. I love your voice. You have led me through the fire in the darkest night. You are close like no other. I've known you as a father. I've known you as a friend. I have lived in the goodness of God. And all my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. Lordness is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. With my life laid down, I'm surrendered now. I give you everything. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. With my life laid down, I'm surrendered now. I give you everything. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. And all my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. And all my life you have been faithful all my life you have been so so good with every breath that I am able I will sing of the goodness of God I will sing of the goodness of God, I will sing of the goodness of God. The Lord's good. Boy, He's so good to us. Now, if you would like to talk to somebody if you need extra prayer. There will be those of us available for that. So don't be shy. And certainly, don't forget that there's a reception. I think there's food. 12.30. Or right, no, right now, probably. You just go out those doors to my right, to your left. Take a hard right and uh, just run down that hall as fast as you can. I like stampedes. I'm going to stop. Now's the time. Will, would you close us in prayer? Yes. Father, it is a joy to gather in this place every Sunday with these people in corporate worship to you. We love you so very much. You are an amazing God our Father, our Savior, our soon-coming King. Lord, we love you. God, thank you for the call you have on our lives. Open doors for 
the folks. Just give us your plan, Lord. Help us to take the next steps. Help us to learn to leave a legacy that honors you, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we all pray, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. Sing with me as we close. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, Lord, I will sing of the goodness of God. One more time. my life you have been faithful all my life you have been so so good with every breath that I am able I will sing of the goodness of God I will sing of the goodness of God, I will sing of the goodness of God. Give him praise. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. You are awesome. Thank you for joining us at Church of the Savior online today. We hope you are encouraged to pursue God and grow in your walk with Jesus. If you made the decision to follow Jesus for the first time today, please reach out to us. We would love to help you take your next step. Please visit our website for information on upcoming events and how you can connect with the COS family. There is also a prayer request form where you can let us know how we can pray for you. Thanks again for tuning in. Hope to see you next week.